Hey there. Do you want to get your episode of You're Going to Die the Podcast a week earlier than everybody else? Well, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash YG2D. And this very day, other than this episode you're listening to now, you can get our next episode a week early with Dr. Joanne Cacciatore, bereaved mom since the death of her daughter in 1994, author of the award-winning bestseller, Burying the Unbearable, Love, Loss, and the Heartbreaking Path of Grief, and the founder of Sela Care Farm, the first care farm for the traumatically bereaved in the U.S. and a haven for animals rescued from abuse and neglect. You're Going to Die, the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com. Have you ever listened to someone's music for over 10 years and then finally, suddenly, for some reason, like maybe you have a podcast, you get to talk to that person and you find out they're as cool as you hoped, as you maybe were sure of, just from listening to their music? Well, I have. if there's more to add than what I just said there at the beginning of the theme song for this episode to set it up in a meaningful way, what it was like to love music and listen to it for over 10 years and then meet the guest on the show here and find out they're cool and have a feeling like you hope you'll be friends. Uh, That's it. That's the setup. And I, I think it should be noted that it's not always that way when I talk to guests. Like, I love everybody I talk to, even maybe some of the conversations that uh, don't go as well as I'd hope. I mean, that happens. I know you're out there just saying, say more, tell me more. I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> but I just want to say that you might be thinking, listener, someone who maybe has been listening for a while, geez, he says this all the time. He wants to be friends with everybody. This guy and his abandonment issues. <laughs> Uh, okay, fine, fair enough. And it, it's not always a feeling I have. And Dan Mangan gave me that feeling. So glad to have him on the show. And I hope when you listen to us talk, you get a little taste for that yourself. Dan Mangan is a two-time Juno award-winning and two-time Polaris Music Prize-listed musician and songwriter. He has toured around the globe playing Jimmy Kimmel Live, collaborated with Dave Grohl, and scored acclaimed soundtracks for Netflix, AMC, CBC, and a feature film. He is also a co-founder of Side Door, a community marketplace platform for the arts where any space is a venue. Mangan's sixth studio LP, Being Somewhere, unfurls like a tender, overdue conversation with a dear friend. See? I told you guys. The album took nearly three years to record as a long-distance collaboration with producer Drew Brown of Radiohead and Beck, and may just be his finest work yet. I hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Dan Mangan. I just, by the way, I just did a podcast like a week ago <clears throat> or a couple of weeks ago, and um, we had this amazing, great conversation. 
And then I got an email from him half an hour later and he's like, I forgot to record it. <laughs> so I'm very happy to see the red button on the screen yeah. right now. I have to admit that at least once I had a long, good conversation with someone <laughs> for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And the same thing occurred where I was like, saw it near the end before I got off the call and was like, oh my God, I'm oh. so sorry to tell you this. <laughs> But, but yeah, we're officially recording, well, Dan. <laughs> but that's like a properly, you know, Buddhist uh, experience totally. of sort of having the conversation for the purpose of it and then not needing uh, a product. At the Absolutely. End of it, you, know? you know how often I'll get on with a guest, sometimes musicians, but they won't know because of the Venn diagram that makes absolute sense. A lot of what we're up to and exactly why it's called you're going to die and, and, Ani DeFranco is the best example who just straight up was like, I, I have no idea what you're doing. All I know is I saw that email come through and I was like, yes, that's true. And definitely I want to talk about it. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, yeah. I've got it. I've got it. That's a catchy title. Yeah, it gets your attention. It's a grab, it grabs you. At yeah, least. Yeah. And I would say just to acknowledge that, like similarly with inviting guests to the podcast, all these years, 10 plus years of having something named you're going to die. It is like an immediate invitation and it makes sense when someone says yes. And it makes sense when someone says no, because a lot of times people say, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah. know what you're at. I don't know what you're getting at. And, and, and I'm just not ready or I don't want to talk about that. And so it, it's, it's my thank you and my gratitude for you saying yes. It, it's, it's curious about that part, you know, which is what, mm-hmm. what, inclined you to saying yes to the yes to this podcast in that context yeah well i mean i if you look through my work you know there's a lot of allusions to death um i think that you know like sometimes i'll I'll chat with my kids about like you know what's important in life and stuff like that and um and truly death is the thing that gives anything any purpose, right? Um, if we didn't die, if there was no end, we would be listless and bored in, in infinity. And, um, the fact that something ends gives, you know, credence to it being something at all. Um, actually even the last song on my new, on my recent record is called no tragedy, please. And it's basically the chorus is, you know, maybe too many things really matter to me. Maybe loss just affirms the value of everything. Maybe love is a curse and will never be free. And maybe there in the sting lies the real poetry. And I believe that, you know, I believe that the complicated marriage between anything meaning something to you has to do with the fact that it could be taken away. And the deeper the love, the deeper the grief and the, you know, the, the deeper the appreciation, the deeper the pain. And, um, and so, I, I mean, it's something that's fascinated me. It's not something I've like, you know, academically studied in the way that, that you likely have, you yeah, know, I, you're not like um, getting all the books. <laughs> no. Um, and I also, to me, you know, you know, to be clear, like I have had some grief in my life, you know, there are people I've had, um, close friends of mine pass away all too early, way too early. Um, but 
it's, I'm, I'm not somebody who has been marred with grief. You know, I, I, I feel like I've met people who are like, Oh, I lost my dad when I was eight. And then I lost my mom when I was 14. And now, you know, now my sister is on her death better. You know, I've, I know, I know people who have really had to suffer the consequences of death more than I have. And I want to make that as a disclaimer that, you know, it's not, it's not I something I have. I, both of my parents are still with us. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, my, my, my siblings, everybody, you know, I, I haven't had like a close family death that to have to deal with. I've had pets die and I've had close friends die. Um, my parents are, you know, in their seventies now and, uh, elder care is something that's like, that was something that was so far off in the horizon for me and is now, it, you know, it, it, it's not quite, not quite in that zone, but it's coming. Um, and, uh, I fear that a little bit and, uh, you know, mortality is, is on my mind. I should say more these days than it has been for not, not even my own. I don't mind aging. I, every decade of my life has been better than the previous one. Um, and, uh, I like, I like who I am now more than when I was younger. So I, I, I'm not so worried about every time, you know, you're on a plane, and you get like out of nowhere, just like, oh, you know, like the whole thing shakes and everyone goes like, oh, um, I'm happy to say that every single time, the first thing that goes through my head is I've had a great life, you know, like, um, and it's not to say that I don't have lots of low moments and anxiety and depression, just like anybody else. But I, I'm, I'm so thankful that gratitude is the first place I go to. Mm. And, um, and it often is, and I, that's a practice, you know, it's not something that, that necessarily is just gifted to you. You have to work to feel that way. Um, but it makes me, it makes me appreciate things, mm-hmm. you know, the more, and, and especially particularly all the insanity in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the amount of death and despair that is so immediately visible on Instagram or TikTok. Um, I feel like, you know, I came home from a, from a eight week tour. I was gone six and a half out of eight, out of eight weeks. And the whole time I was gone, almost, you know, this, this war was happening in, 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 um, in, in the Middle East and, and just so many images of dead and injured kids was on my purview. I had like, when I got home from that tour, like I squeezed my kids, like, mm-hmm. you know, just like, uh, I, I feel like I, I've been in this sort of like tender zone and I think I'm not alone. Yeah. Um, and when you're in that sort of like tender, I feel everything, kind of like, you know, absorbing the energy of the world kind of mind frame and sort of like frame of heart almost. Um, it's the, the world hurts, but there's, it's almost like a, like a sore in your mouth that you keep tonguing. There's a, there's like a, there's something about it that reminds you of like what's special at the same mm-hmm. time. And, uh, and so being in that tender zone, I mean, I, I write a lot of sad music um, and I think sad music can be really connective because it's such a familiar emotion for all of us. Um, and so I, I sometimes kind of give myself a hard time, like, ah, just make something happy for once, you know, but, uh, I feel, I, I don't know. I feel inclined to explore death and yeah. sadness and grief because it helps me feel gratitude for when, for everything else. Yeah. I, I, 
am thinking of a conversation I had with Adam Jackson of Sacred Sons a couple episodes ago. And, um, you know, he said the same thing. He, he has, he's had friends, you know, he's lost, um, and some lineage of loss in his family in terms of grandparents, um, that he never met and the, the significance of how they died. And so he was speaking to all that and sort of simultaneously saying that he's not experienced the loss of, of so many of the people in the world, especially that he works with with his his um sacred son's work but he said something that i feel you might be acknowledging which is when we lean into these things there is a way that we're preparing ourselves you know that we're familiarizing ourselves with this this part of the human experience and that it is possible to do that before tragedy strikes that there is a way Mm -hmm. you can befriend the inevitable with your parents. Um, and, and that, that there's something important about doing that. And I, and I feel Mm. like, um, two, it is a way to open to other people's grief, to be willing to like, look at these, these inevitabilities. Sure. And, And with your music too, being so often sorrowful, which is like, for sure, by the way, <laughs> both my jam and a little bit like how many grief releases, like grief workshops, can I do like just a joy workshop for once? Um, yeah. But knowing like that's part of the point is just to be able to create some kind of ac- uh, access point to other. Mm-hmm. And and Adam Jackson talks a bit about that with the Israel-Palestine situation, how after October 7th, right on that day, in fact, they were having a Sacred Sons gathering and the Jewish and Palestinian men were able to meet each other in their grief in that context. Now, this is before, you know, the many weeks of tragedy that we've seen unfold, but also the point that really has stuck with me since then is that potential for connectedness that we can find. And I think you set a version mm-hmm. of this in our grief and that your music is like a way of creating that. Mm-hmm. When I, my first son was born, he was seven weeks early. And so he spent two two weeks in um, what is called the intermediate nursery, which is sort of like the, the NICU light. You know, it's like a NICU, but for kids who are kind of like, a, you know, he, he wasn't, he, he was four and a half pounds. He was little, mm-hmm. but he wasn't two pounds, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, it was unbelievable being in this little, you know, we spent like 18 hours a day in and out of this um this, this nursery and there's all these incubators and Joey beds and all these tiny little babies that are in critical care. And, you know, in order to get in there, you have to like wash your hands thoroughly with this, like, you know, kind of like red colored soap that is like dry, you know, it's like, like everything about this thing was like sacred space, you know, you had to wash your hands so thoroughly before you could go in there. And it was like double doors and masks and, And, um, it was so interesting seeing the other parents in there because like, it didn't matter. You could be worth a billion dollars. You could be, you know, uh, uh, an addict. You could be, uh, 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 from any walk of life, any ethnicity, any social class. But if your kids in this room, like all you want for those parents is for their kids to, to get strong. Like that's it. Right. And it's like the, the sort of like brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it of the parents who are experiencing the same thing at the same time in this uh, intermediate nursery. 
Um, and you're seeing their babies, like you're seeing their babies. Oh, this baby grew like, you know, 25 grams today. That's great news. You know, um, I mean, Matthew, like you're just, talking to each other a bit yeah. about these and, and, things, and, and right? a little bit, you yeah, know, okay. and like you kind of yeah. have your own private thing, mm-hmm. and, but there's no curtains or anything. You can see the other parents mm-hmm. sitting with their babies and stuff. And, you know, well, you guess, you know, they're holding the babies or whatever, but it was just this amazing sort of like humility, you know, the humility of just like, I want my kid to do well and I want your kid to do well. Let's all get through this um, in a very different way, a different story. We went to a wedding in Sweden and uh, the day before the wedding, all of the people involved in the wedding, everyone invited to the wedding was invited to the asana. Uh, and so I met the father of the bride, both of us stark naked. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, like for the first time, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like shaking his horribly. hand, you know, with our, with our dongs hanging out. And um, that's great. And, and it was and it was like gender segregated, but you could kind of swim out in the ocean and there was like these docks and stuff like that. And it's sort of like, you know, it was amazing how. For five minutes, you know, all of the North Americans were like, oh, this is so awkward because we're all, you know, our whole society is based on like Puritan prude, Uh you know, sex is bad vibes. Right. But over in Sweden, they're just like, oh, this is just your body. You know Mm -hmm. what? You think your body is special? It's just a body. Mm -hmm. And um, and they're so used to it. And so after like five minutes of awkwardness, it was amazing. It was just like three hours of hanging out and every like it was like you could you could because clothing and class and stature and, you know, like we, we, we don't realize how much like makeup and, and what we wear and everything defines us Mm. everywhere we go. And so there was no, like, it was, I don't know. it, It was an incredible experience in humility because it really sort of like brought everybody down to their base, like mammal existence. And from there we could just converse and be friends. Mm. Um, and those, those sort of moments in your life where it's like pure humility is just beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful. And I'm not a religious person. I know some people find that humility in religion, but I find it in other things. You know, I find it in music or I find it in, in other. And I, it's, it's really wanting to feel small mm-hmm. and in the scope of something so big. You look at a, like a mountainscape or the stars or the ocean, like anytime I'm feeling really rough and, uh, or, or anxious or, or sad, or anytime I get a note from somebody, like I get, I get messages from somebody saying like, uh, this is the hardest week of my life. This happened to me. That happened to me. I was listening to your music. I just wondered if you had any advice. And all of a sudden I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you get those you coming to me for yeah, advice? Yeah. But you get those kind of regularly. I totally get those. Yes. Or like, you know, like, I don't know, like people just, I don't know why I'm reaching out to you, but I just wanted to reach out to you and ask if like, what, what you know, if you had any thoughts or, and, um, I mean, I have no qualifications. I'm not a grief counselor. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm talking, or I'm talking about your music, you know, like that's it, right? <laughs> it's like, it is yeah. something. It's not a, a certificate on the wall for some kind of like mental health program you went through, but it is something, <laughs> you know, that people Well, need. that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, right. that, and and that my, my first response is always exactly that. Like, I'm so pleased that these songs could be of service, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if nothing else, that's what they should be. They yeah, should right. be of some service to somebody. That's right. And, um, 
And, uh, but the thing that I always tell people and the thing that I try and listen to as advice for myself as well is like when you're feeling that way, overwhelmed, uh, in pain, in grief, uh, in anxiety to look at something huge, mm-hmm. you know, to go and, or, or just like look at a huge tree mm-hmm. in, in a park and then think about how that tree is 300 years old, you know, or maybe if you're from the Pacific Northwest, like I am. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and to be like, these trees are, are so old. Like think about how many people have mm. died and lived and, you know, uh, gone through all of the range of storied human emotions in surrounding this tree over all of this course. And the tree's just chilling. Yeah. And so to like sort of measure your life mm. against the scope of something that is so much older than you or something so much bigger than you, like the stars or the mm. ocean. And for me, if it makes me feel insignificant in this beautiful way, because I feel like so much of our trauma of existing comes from not measuring up to something and feeling like we're failing or feeling like we're not good enough. We're not good looking enough. We're not, you know, funny or talented or, or hardworking enough or successful enough, or we're just struggling to get by. Um, and you know, those kinds of privileged anxieties aren't even in our purview. And so to just sort of like put yourself in the scope of something so much bigger and to feel small and insignificant, it sort of takes the pressure off. Like it gets the monkey off your back and you can just be like, Oh, I'm not measuring up to anything because there's nothing to measure up to. None of this really matters. Like a, a billion years from now, nobody will know John Lennon's name. Nobody will know Oprah's name. You know, the idea of the ego is sort of like, it's so far removed from the moment. And uh, if we can, embrace that infinitesimal existence in the scope of time and space, then we can appreciate all the little things along the way because we're not constantly measuring it against something that we thought it might be. That's right. Yeah. Oh man. How did it take us this long to talk? Um, the, the, (laughs) the moon for me, I've got these tiny mortal reminders that I've been posting on, on you're going to die social media. Love the moon. The moon, how magic be big, sad face of infinity. That's a Jack Kerouac quote that my kids uh, have to deal with me saying anytime we see the moon. Um, And I love that line as a version of what you're describing, you know, like it's that thing that's just watched the billions, you know, Mm -hmm. come and go from this planet. And uh, even one of my memes is a joke about that, but it's just the moon being like, I know you're going to die. I know it's hard, but you know, trust me, I totally get it. I've seen it happen, you know, billions of times. Yeah. Um, You've seen that, that Edgar Mitchell quote, the astronaut, where he's talking about like looking back mm, at, at earth. Mm. I'm going to look it up while yeah, do it. we live, are live talking. research, <laughs> live Googling. Okay. So uh, here we go. This is what Edgar Mitchell said. This is an astronaut you know, being way out in orbit, looking back at earth. And he says, you develop an instant global consciousness, a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world and a compulsion to do something about it from out there on the moon. International politics looks so petty. You want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck, drag him a quarter of a million miles out and say, look at that, you son of a bitch. (laughs) I've never heard that. I'm so glad that I've heard it now. Yeah. Exactly. Same as like the Carl Sagan pale blue mm-hmm. dog, which I'm sure you're familiar yes. with, you know, like, like that, I mean, it's the same thing. It's, yeah. 
humility, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like Humbling. you zoom out all this to all the distance and you see the earth from that mm. range and you're like, oh man, maybe we could get over these generations old, you know, mm-hmm. grudges mm-hmm. that we have in this godforsaken planet and we could stop blowing each other to bits and yeah. stop killing each other over, yeah. you know, disagreements about, you know, religion or, or you know, yeah. the creation mm-hmm. of us or whatever. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, yeah. And then I just have to highlight the, like, no one will know John Lennon's name and, you know, thousand, whatever many thousands of years. Yeah. It doesn't like even matter. Beyonce. Like you can say a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Like may, maybe they will know John maybe. Lennon's name in a thousand years. I don't know, Who's but that? they will not know his name in a billion <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah. Right. Can we just be clear? You know? Yeah. There will like, be and, a and, point. And, <laughs> Where yeah. we will all be the same. I mean, that's my thing. I've said it on the show before. Like, we're all the same as Beyonce. Just give it enough time. Yeah. Just give it enough yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> we're just space dust, you know? Like exactly. we're just like we're like little bits of carbon and, and magnesium and mm-hmm. whatever, you know, the H2O that has just been floating around in space that happened to like form around, you know, in a zygote yeah. in your mother's womb, you do. know. And uh <laughs> You know, and, and there is something to the soul and everything, but like, it's really interesting. Like I, I have, I have a friend who had a really terrible, um, TBI, a traumatic brain injury. And it was incredible to look, you know, she's, she's kind of, she's kind of back on her feet and recovered in all sorts of ways, but it's been years. And immediately after it happened, when I looked her in the eye, it's like, I was looking at different person in the eye, you know? It's like, it's like she was a different person from this brain injury. And it was, you know, it it was just, it was, it was a very profound experience to be like, wait a minute, you're different. You're, you're like, you're like physically and emotionally and spiritually, chemically a different person because of this thing that happened to your brain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, deep in there, her soul, you know, she's, and she's over time, she's, she's had an amazing recovery. That was interesting to me, you know, like. Well, for me, it begs the question of like, what is constant and maybe it's the soul, but I think in this living, in this body, how, uh, uh, how, how we're just seconds away of being someone else entirely, you know, like that, that feeling, that's what I got from you sharing that is like, something can happen to us that can absolutely change who we are. And I think that connects to like grief and loss. Like it connects to like when my mom died, I was a different person. I think it certainly connects to like illness. Um, and something like what your friend has lived through. I, I think about it with Israel, Palestine, you know, it's like the privilege I have accidentally because I just got born in this fucking country. And by the way, like, I'm not saying that's like a good thing. Um, like there's a no, lot the of relative like, safety. Yes, right. Exactly. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. But also not just that, like, what about the luck of being born in this era and not, yeah. you know, 4,000 years mm-hmm. ago or something where the life expectancy was 19 years right. old or, you know, it's like, um, it's, uh, like the, um, like I think about my music career and I, have prided myself on, on being like an extremely hard worker. I've always been tenacious. I've always been ambitious and daring and I'm willing to sort of like throw caution to the wind for the sake of having a life in music. And that's, that's good. That's, you know, yay for me. But also I'm a, I was born a middle-class white guy in Canada, um, you know, with every privilege afforded to me, you know, the universal healthcare, 
and, uh, uh, you know, subsidized post-secondary education and roads and, uh, parent, like I was, I wasn't an orphan. I was born to parents. Um, you know, the, the amount of privileges and head starts that I've had in my life is uncountable. And yet, you know, hard work also matters, but what about the people who have to work just as hard and don't have any of those privileges or head starts, you know? Even just like the, even like the, the, uh, the process of like purchasing, let's say you don't like, even if you didn't have money, let's say you do have money to purchase something, even the, the ability to like purchase a piece of land requires lawyers and, you know, all sorts of like things. And then you're, 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 you're dealing with, um, you know, uh, like tenancy laws or whatever, like all of these things. You have to, like, if you are a single parent, if you are uh, like English second language here in, in Canada, like if you, how do you navigate these things? I have, it was, it's so many, so clear to me how many perks I have, like okay. how many privileges I have and how yeah. many and like benefits of the doubts I have. I remember like being in a, a, a gas station somewhere in the, in the Midwest of the States on tour and I walk into the gas station and I'm like looking around at, the, you know, it's the same garbage in every fridge, but you, for some reason you go and you spend five minutes looking you at it every check it all time. Out. <laughs> you got to check it all out. I want to know. <laughs> and, um, and I, and I walk in and I'm just like looking around, nobody's paying any attention to me. And then like, you know, a couple of minutes later, a black guy about the same age walks in and he starts like looking around doing the exact same thing I'm doing. And I noticed like the, the clerk behind the counter starts kind of just like, put an eye on him, on him, you know, like watching him as he's walking. Like, and I was thinking like the amount of times in my life I've had the benefit of the doubt because I'm just like a white guy, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think that it's just hard to understand, you know, and it, it's not to say that my grief or my anxiety or my sadness is not warranted or that I don't deserve to have those emotions or anything like that. They are, but we can be, multifaceted mm -hmm. individuals. We can, we can, we can carry the sadness. We can carry the grief. We can carry the anxiety and we can also acknowledge, you know, the ways in which, uh, our hard work has been supplemented by a sort of like cosmic communal benefit of the doubt. admit that I'm right now I'll just say a little a little tired of tired of saying what I'm about to say um <laughs> is that a thing people can do when they host podcasts I, I think I do it at the shows I'll show up at a show and I'll say I didn't want to be here everybody and it actually creates an amazing moment usually where I suddenly do want to be there just by naming the truth so I'm doing that right now I don't want to remind you to rate and review the podcast but it is time for me to do that and I'm smiling suddenly I'm leaning into it, it feels right it feels like the right thing to do with your time right now with your time right now, if you're listening to this episode and the You're Going to Die podcast for the first time, please rate and review the show. 
especially if you're listening to the podcast uh, repeatedly and that this is a return visit to the show and you haven't rate and reviewed the show, please go and rate and review the show now. Okay. I got to say that. I'm putting it down. Thank goodness. That felt a lot better than I thought it was going to. And it's needed. We need your support in that way. The only other thing I'll say is share this episode with someone you care about. Just, you already thought about them. You were listening and you thought about them and you thought, oh, yeah, I feel like fill in the blank like this. Well, go into your app, just find the little link option and share it with your friends and your family, your community, people you barely know. Just send it out to them. Word of mouth is so huge for growing this thing. So we're depending on you. Thank you in advance for spreading the word and sharing You're Going to Die the podcast with the world. Look out, world. Here we come. But what's new is that we in the Western world who have enjoyed this relative safety from from that kind of like immediate sense of danger is that we are seeing it not just through the lens of what's on the news, but like through through like in real time, like we are seeing like a like bombs kill people minutes after they actually killed Mm -hmm. people because it was just uploaded. And so that's sort of like real time awareness of what's happening and being able to see it and imagine it in our own lives. Um, one thing that that's sort of brought up for me is, uh, this understanding that like, okay, trauma is at the core of human existence since forever, you know? And that like, they say it, you know, like here in Canada where we're dealing with the, you know, the, the ongoing reconciliation from residential schools and the way that sort of genocidal means by which or, or practice that our government and, and the church here treated First Nations folks for, for many de- generations. And uh, up through the 90s, even the last residential school closed in 1994, I was 11 years old and I, w- I went to school in Canada. It was never mentioned and nobody knew that this was happening. Like no, like no white kids knew that this was happening. Um, and it was happening right under our noses. And um, I think about the trauma of, uh, of what that was to be separated from your parents, to be forced to not speak your language, to be beaten, to be tortured, sexually abused. Um, many of them just died. A lot of these schools had graveyards. And then you get kicked out of these schools at 18 back to your community. And all you've known is trauma. So you, you know, have addiction problems and then you have kids and then those kids get taken away from you. And the, the cycle of, of, you know, oppression is just remarkable. And they, you know, they, they've, they've studied that trauma can last in the DNA. you like, you can literally pass on like Holocaust survivors, you know? And I, I think that, you know, October 7th really triggered a kind of deep, deep wound that I can't understand because I don't have any family that had to live through the Holocaust. And so we have to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that, you know, we have to acknowledge that there is a kind of like residual trauma that was triggered in a very specific way. Um, and, uh, and obviously, you know, I, I don't believe that that warrants the insane atrocities that have gone on in Gaza, but 
you know, I don't think that that's what this podcast is about so much as talking about the fact that trauma is in so much experience. Like, you know, go, going back in my, like I'm Irish, you know, the potato famine, you know, how many, how many parents had to have 13 kids and have four of them survive. Mm. And that trauma mm-hmm. is in my DNA, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, you know, it takes, it takes so many generations for that trauma to sort of dissipate that it's invariably likely that more trauma will enter. Before, yeah, before. You know, how, well, I, how many, yeah, yeah, I, I do. So all of this to say that like the thing that unites us almost more than anything yeah. is trauma. That's right. And it is in mm-hmm. our bones mm-hmm. and all of us have lived through it. The secrets and mm-hmm. the family secrets and the abuses and the whatever, you know, murders goes on and on. Well, do you, you know, yeah, I'd say trauma, grief, and even what you're acknowledging from October 7th and the week sense is like, I've heard it put that the, these are stages of grief that we're operating out of. This is, by the way, a side note from, or maybe the more important note from like what's happening politically, you know, that there's like mm-hmm. white men in charge making decisions uh, that have led so much of these these murders and killing and genocide. And, um, and October 7th, you know, it's like, that's what's behind it. And it's grief, right? You said like what's coming up here is, is some version of like also all these stages of grief that we're constantly in. What, what I, 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 this is first of all, so glad lately to have time on in these conversations to make, make room for this. So I just want to say thanks for leaning in to that with me and, and, it matters a lot to have a conversation that's very personal and that like gets me and the listeners closer to you and your, your humanity and your mortality and your music. And this stuff feels like, um, it would be a missing not to acknowledge how we're relating to this stuff. Like it's mattered so much to have these kinds of conversations right now. So thank you for that. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering out of what you just shared, a question I've just been holding on to is, if you can speak to how you're someone in the world who hasn't had like a loss early, like I did with my mother dying when I'm 26 or even the cancer she dealt with for half my life up until that point. Um, how are you a person? How have you, how have you found yourself to be a person who may be the answer to some of this? Like, how do we get ahead of this trauma that's building up? How do we get ahead of all this grief? Well, for fucking sure, we should probably do a better job of making room for it. And I think you do that. I think you do it with your music. And I'm wondering why, you know, like, did your parents do what it sounds like what you're trying to do maybe with your kids, which is like, these things are inevitable. So how do we open to it and have conversations about it and feel about it and create out of it. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, I, when I think back to my childhood, I don't have a lot of grievances. I I remember being mostly happy as a kid. I feel like if I'm, you know, the hardest times in my young life was probably as a teenager feeling, dealing with the anxiety of being a teenager and having a weird body and, you know, all kinds of issues. But as a kid, um, I, I have a generally peachy, feeling about when I was a kid. But, you know, I, I think if you ask my brother, my brother and my sister, maybe, maybe they remember it differently than I do. And my, you know, I, there was a divorce. We split up 
the siblings. We were in different parts of the country, traveling back and forth. There was more marriages, more divorces. We moved every 18 months, it seemed like, for a lot of my life, you know, um, constantly moving, constantly the new kid. And um, maybe it was just my disposition, but I sort of just got really good at, you know, thinking on my feet and trying to generally make friends everywhere I went and stuff like that. You the youngest? Um I was the youngest. And so I, I, I didn't, I think I was too young to really like feel the trauma of that Mm. divorce in the way that my brother and my sister Mm -hmm. did. And, um, and so it's, you know, even that is interesting to me. Like, like, like how much have I just like blocked out? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, and at the same time, my parents are great, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they loved the crap out of us and they made decisions for our well-being. And I feel, you know, unquestionably loved by both of my parents mm-hmm. and have always felt that way and always felt like I deserved their love, which I think is another thing. It's not just that we are loved, but that we feel worthy mm-hmm. of it. And um, and so I like I, I think about parenting my kids, you know, we have so much more, so many more tools at our disposal. Now we have so much more language about parenting. There's so much more like about psychology and even online, like you can follow like parenting gurus and as much as that's kind of dorky and annoying in in its own way, it can be helpful. Does your kid do this? Here's a way you could handle that. You know, okay, I'll try that next time. Yeah. Well, and I like, and I, my whole adult life, one thing I thought prouded myself on was like, Oh, I'm cool. as cute. Like it's really hard to get yeah. me. really hard to get my yeah. goat. You know, I can weather almost anything without getting like, and like, you know, Oh, turns out all, all you need to show you that you have a temper is have there some kids. You know? yeah, that's the and test. Like, <laughs> there's a couple of moments where I have like really lost yes. it. Like you know, oh yelled gosh, at my kids really, really loudly and I've been really upset. And, uh, you know, we could all use a little bit of help. Um, but it's, uh, I think that I, I remember having this moment, we were like shopping for a crib for my first kid and we were like, Oh, do we get the regular cotton sheets or do we spend the extra $30 for the organic cotton sheets or whatever, yep. you know? And right in the middle of that was like contrasting this decision we were making was like the Syrian refugee mm-hmm. crisis and kids were in Zodiacs trying to get across the Mediterranean And I remember thinking like, they're fine. Like, it doesn't matter what sheets they like, as long as they are loved and as long as they believe that they are worthy of that love, it's the only thing Mm -hmm. that matters. Like in terms and like in those first three years where their sense of self is, you know, derived and and built. um, And, and like, I try and remember that every time I get really caught up on some silly decision we have to make or something like that something we're dealing with. I mean, what's the, so I, I still feel like there's curiosity for me around how someone like you who has kind of a peachy dis, uh, uh, relationship with reality, especially when you were younger could make songs like you do, which would lend, uh, any listener to think like, damn, this guy has gone through 
like <laughs> the great, the greatest. Yeah, every time I post a new song, somebody so comments sorry. underneath, like, "Dude, you, you yeah, okay?" You you know? right? <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, that's I, I want to stick with that. Like, what is that? I get it all the time, and even you like, may not like, know. I mean, between, by the way, I don't want you to think you're gonna have this like perfect response to this question, you know. But in between songs at concerts, I tend to crack jokes. You know, I've got a sense of humor, and I and I and I've had people at the merch table afterwards be like, Oh, you should try comedy or something. You know, and I'm like, no, 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 no. The reason that's you right. think that I'm funny that's, is because, I'm, because I just like made you that's feel so sad that's, in between. That's all my shows yeah. are is just me crying yeah. a lot and then making a joke. Like everybody's down for a laugh after you make them cry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And also like, you know, like if you can make somebody cry and laugh during a concert, they're going to leave feeling lighter. Oh, like they've exercised something from their body. Like, you know, I say my best concert experiences where those two things absolutely happen. I absolutely. have to have laughed and I have to have cried. So yeah, love that. Absolutely. Can't wait to catch uh, your next. It's your like, next he, you know, it's like a, like a rag doll, you know, you mm -hmm. get rag, you get swung one way, you get swung another way and then you feel loose and, and kind of free afterwards. It's beautiful. Um, but I, I also, I, I think that part of my peachy disposition and my intense music um, and I don't, I don't know if this is exactly true, but it's, it's the thing that I've kind of come to believe is, is that the reason why I can be fairly positive, optimistic, upbeat, affable in my disposition is because I, I like for me, writing these songs is, is therapy. And if I, if I'm having trouble sleeping at night, if I've got something bugging me. It's wisping around in my head and I can't quite put my, can't quite nail it down. I know I have a song brewing. And so oh, for I me, writing that, the song is like, it's like articulating all of the things that are frustrating me or whatever, or propelling me, maybe not frustrating me. Um, and then it's like, I've written a letter to somebody. Yeah. I feel like it's like I've written an open letter yeah, right. basically. Yeah. And then whether anyone reads that letter, I personally I articulated it. And because it's no longer this like gray zone, you know, amorphous blob putting weight on my shoulders, it's a very specific thing that I articulated into words and sentences and melodies. And now it's like, oh, I did, I'm over that. Like I got, I, I, I was able to mm. exercise those demons because they are now no longer vague. They are specific. That's great. I so appreciate that articulation. Uh, what I hoped would happen in this interview, <clears throat> which generally when I have a hope or I'm clear on exactly how something's going to go, like it absolutely doesn't go that way. And it's good mm -hmm. that it didn't, but I, I had this list of songs you sent me and all, all songs I've heard before, but I just, this morning just listened to all of them again and looked up some lyrics. Maybe you could pick one of these songs and give it maybe give a little bit of that story, a little bit of that background as a specific example to what you just described. I think that the song that best describes my thoughts on, um, on death and on grief is, is without question, no tragedy, please. And that's the one that I mentioned earlier. And I, I, I kind of spoke the, the words of the chorus to you, but you know, the, the, the verses of that song, that whole song is one of my proudest bits of lyricism. And I could even just kind of like spit it at you, you know, um, uh, what I can take, it, it, it will be tested and what can break me has a name. 
So when I'm calm and feeling rested, there's still a devil at the gate, sort of like, you know, thinking about being calm, but there's this like little devil just working at me. And I've learned that if I let it, it will coax my ease away. This idea that if I start worrying about what's going to happen, I can't really enjoy it anymore. And um, the second verse is, um, if I could read what the cards tell, could I live with what they say? Or would I sit here shuffling and reshuffling and try and fix the deck my way? What is this long and painful process to try and leave things as they lay? And to me, the song is sort of, you know, it's about coming to terms with the realities of it all and, and facing it and, um, and sort of uh, acknowledging the heaviness and that the heaviness truly is a part of the beauty. Uh, and without the heaviness, we can't have the beauty. The two are totally entwined. And then at the end of the chorus, when I, you know, I, I told you the chorus lyrics earlier, the, uh, maybe too many things really matter to me. Maybe loss just affirms the value of everything. Maybe love is a curse and will never be free. And by that, I mean, like, you know, because we love, we're going to be cursed with the fear and the pain that inevitably comes. Uh, and maybe there in the sting lies the real poetry. And it follows up the line, just no tragedy, please. And it's, it's a plea. It's a fool's plea, you know, to say, I know that hard stuff will happen. I know I'm going to have to deal with some bad stuff. But please, you know, for the love of dog... Um, just spare me the really fucking bad shit, please. Cause I just, I can't take it, you know? And, uh, you know, I think all that stuff hits it, 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 the, the weight of the world multiplies when you have kids, you know, because for the first time you're truly vulnerable. It's not just something can happen to you. It's that the world could take this thing from you that is the thing that you love more than anything and forever will be that way. And, uh, you know, I think that the, uh, the, uh, the blessing of being a parent is to truly understand what it feels like to love something completely unconditionally. And the blessing of being a kid or a child is to take it completely for granted. And, you know, the, in that compendium of that relationship is, uh, you know, I remember when I had, when I had my kids, it was like, for the first time I was like, Oh, this is why my parents are always calling me <laughs> and I'm never calling them, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Thank you.
Gratitude to Dan for being on the show. There's lots of ways to connect to him and his music. I'll put a Spotify link in the show notes along with all his social media links and his newsletter, including a phone number that he's offering up for you to text. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Nick Jana, hello. How are you? Why not? I mean, let's just connect. Uh, everybody connect in every way possible. Yeah, via phone. What does it matter? I mean, it's- Why aren't we all just giving out our phone numbers? I don't see why. I mean, is it that much more intimate than email, really? Well, I think we can have control over it in a way, right? Like we can silence our email notifications and maybe we do more than we would our phone. And so then with the phone, there's this sense of like readily available. So if you had a phone number, boy, it would get confusing, especially if you were someone more high profile or famous where you wouldn't be able to, you're just wanting your friends to text you. You wouldn't want like, 1 million other people to be texting you, how would you even be able to, you know, manage all that? Uh, yeah. I'm assuming Dan would just have tons of people texting him. I, I probably wouldn't be a problem for me. Maybe it's nice. I, you know, I was in a restaurant the other day and I heard the Lumineers on and I was like at a really, I was just alone and it was like, I really needed to hear them, hear my friends come on the mm-hmm. sound system. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to text Wes. I mean, you know, him now like he's my friend, he's the lead singer. I was just like, Hey man, your song's on. And I just, thank you. <laughs> he texted right back. He's like, wow, that's so cool to hear. Thanks, man. Yeah. And I was like, oh. he's great. He, he's great at doing that with email too. He's like sweet. I'll email him and he'll write me back within an hour. He's a sweetheart. You know? But you know, like I, I wonder if, I don't know, I would, I would love some more text about like somebody just being like, I'm listening to your song right now. You know, it's nice to know yeah. like that there's some connection that something's connecting. That, 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 
is sweet. And yeah, like Taylor Swift, maybe it would be a, a major issue. That's, and yeah. maybe there's a demographic, <laughs> just as an example. And and then there's a demographic where it just wouldn't be. And I actually do wonder if the number Dan sh- is sharing with us and all of you listeners is one of those things where you text it and you sign up for some kind of notification. Yeah. I actually didn't clarify it's that. It's probably not so just I do his wonder phone that's that. buzzing in his pocket. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> but I'm putting that number in there, all of you. To, I, and please go to that number and text Dan and say, hey, this podcast episode on You're Going to Die, love it. Like, thanks for showing up on that show so Mm -hmm. meaningfully. So that's a direction for all of you to go into the show notes and use the phone number. And and fingers crossed, it's his personal line. Um, Or just text, what are you doing right now? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Want to meet up? Uh, Nowadays with spam, boy, yeah, it gets a little confusing on the phone, phone numbers. Do you get those? How do I know you? Do you get those texts that are like, Julie? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Um, How's technology working for you in general? Is everything... Oh, gosh. (laughs) Thanks for bringing it up. I don't think I could have recorded this without getting a chance to acknowledge what's really going on for me. It's so funny that all my facilitation and work, that's probably really key for me to be present and, and really maybe effective. Uh, so often I name things that I'm going through, like I'm going into San Quentin today to do one of our open mics. And with that community, I already know I'm going to want to talk about like the illness and the loss I feel imminent in my life right now with family and friends. And, and just knowing my way in is just to name the thing I'm grieving in a way that I can. And I know that a lot of the mental health professionals there really can't. But, but everywhere, we've talked about this before, how much that matters to me. And this is a great, great question uh, right now because it is what I'm holding in my heart anxiously. And it's that my computer that I use for everything, workshops, uh, podcast stuff, uh, life, like all of us, we have, we have one of these, most of us, and acknowledging sort of the privilege and luxury I have to um, even have a computer. Um because I know some people, maybe it's just not a, an option. Well, mine just won't work this morning. I didn't know until I tried to get on this call with you um, that it is broken or something's wrong with it. And so I'm glad you brought it up so I can just say that's what's going on. And I want to talk about I want to talk about it. And as, I want to do just a live tech support. Like have okay, let's go yeah, through all the protocols. Okay, I'll set command do that. R and the, the hyphen, but not the dash, but the hyphen. Okay. And then be a long close. The pound there, sign, but not the hashtag, like the British support. the British pound sign. I feel like it's we hard did to a find tech support. <laughs> A tech support uh, closing once with one of our episodes. I don't know. Maybe I'm just having deja vu. So we're going to do that at the end. But before (laughs) we get to the tech support part of our show, I want to say what it's like to be actually, I just named it like there's a lot going on in my life personally and organizationally. You know, we're so busy with stuff that matters so much. What's going on in the world? You know, something all the things we're sharing communally. what's going on uh, with the genocide in, in Gaza with the Palestinian people to have a computer not work and have permission to be stressed about it. Um, but also how trivial and meaningless it is, 
but I want to articulate for me something about this is so much of these things are out of my control in the world. What's going on and, and from globally to personally to organizationally, there's a lot that feels a little out of my control, a little bit like I need to just let it go. And like this morning with my kids, there's something I know about me. And that is the little things are sometimes the biggest issues for me because it is a place where I think I have some kind of control in a context where security is maybe just a lie. Like we don't actually like really have control at all. And so when these things happen, it just unravels me a little bit. And so I appreciate you, Nick, being patient with me this morning, getting on to this recording and actually <laughs> listeners, I got on with Nick to get this recording done. It definitely took like 10 minutes to get here. And, and part of why I think I could is because you made room for me being stressed and now you're making even more room for yeah. me to just say this thing's going on and it is stressing me out. It is stressing me out. You were just sitting there staring into the distance and I was like, do you want some advice or <laughs> I was good. tech support or do you want listening? Want to just That's good. Shout at something. Yeah. Do you, sometimes I'll say like, and I've said versions of this on the show when I talked about like job pursuits in the past, you know, decade ago or so interviews and, and getting my resume that that could be kind of stressful for, for anybody, but like, um, some of these mundane sort of emotionless tasks that we have to do, uh, some of these hiccups in life, like a computer not working can be almost m too much for me in a way that like sitting at a dying person's bedside is not that like sitting with someone dying. I'm just present, clear. I'm clear about everything that matters. There's no room for that stuff, you know? But then when I have like a Excel spreadsheet that won't work or my kids are get too late getting out the door, I'm just can just be a mess suddenly. Do you relate to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's really everything. Like what you said of you can't do anything to really change the forces of war or all of the big issues in the world. We have this illusion. Uh, sometimes it is real uh, of like control in our lives, uh, especially in relation to kids. Like I can make dinner and, and you can't, or at, at certain times, like you don't know how to tie your shoes and I can do that. And like, it really feels good. <laughs> you know, like I can do this, like I have a purpose in the world. And then like you hit this obstacle where it's like, Oh wait, I'm at the mercy of this, this box that like, sometimes just doesn't turn on <laughs> and I don't know how to yeah. fix it or something, you know? But like, I also feel that relationship when a child, especially when they're younger, I know, you know, this of like, they get so upset because they wanted the blue cup and you give them the red cup or whatever, you know? And from your perspective, you're like, <laughs> yeah. do you understand real problems in the world? It is a world. But then you can see that relationship between us you're and right. the bigger world. It's like, I'm, I'm still a kid. I wanted this to work and it's not working. And it's like, yeah, but in the mm -hmm. scope of like, you have a home, you're not being blown up. You, you know, like I, I'm not lecturing yeah. you. I'm just saying like, sometimes that helps no, to just no, no, be no. like, you know, I acknowledge it already. There are spheres of that awareness where it's like, but I, I mean, like I'm, I'm going the other way where it's like, when you could really empathize with the kid who's crying about the red cup and you're like, yeah, God damn it. Like I, you really you're wanted right. the blue cup, like not condescendingly, like really empathize. Oh, you're like, yep. I hear you, man. Like, God, this day sucks now. Cause you didn't get the blue cup. You know, like you really, oh, man, really meet them there and realize like, we're all in it. We all have, we all wanted the red cup and we all sometimes get the blue cup and it just, it's petty and it's stupid, but it's like, I wanted the goddamn red cup. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's 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 a bummer. I had a I did have kind of a rough. I already was stressed before my computer <laughs> uh, came up broke. Um, you got a blue cup. I had a moment this morning. What's that? You got a blue cup instead of a red cup. Yep. <laughs> and my daughter had that had her own moment this morning, and I wasn't very spacious about mm. it, and I wasn't connected to what I'm very <laughs> confrontingly connected to now. And that breaks my heart. It's really hard. You're right. You know, it's like, it's, it is hard. Cause you have this awareness it's hard to be human with other humans. And yeah. Cause you have all this oh other responsibility. You're like, I'm paying rent, I'm paying taxes. I'm worrying about all this stuff. And you got this little thing, but that helps me with Bagel like, got burnt. Yeah. That helps me with my relationship with whatever the universe, God, bigger circles of things happening of like, Oh, there's bigger things than me, than my problems here. And it's like, this seems like the world, the most important thing. And it's okay. You know, traveling gives me that perspective. I'm like traveling with a broken heart and just seeing like sometimes taking a bus through cities and like seeing millions of people just like who don't know me, who don't know my problems, don't know anything about it. And like, they're fine. They're fine with it. It's like, oh, maybe I can take some of that grace of just like, it's not, there's something nice about like, it's not all over you know, my heartbreak or my sadness or what I'm upset about is, is not all over the world and felt by everyone. It's actually comforting that it's not that big a deal. Mm. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. So command R and then ready to want to, this part's tricky um, with your elbow. I want to, you say. have to push okay. a button okay. all right. that you've all never right. seen before. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm getting stressed. <laughs> um, uh, I want to say thank you, Nick, for those words. And I want to say to the listener, I hope this podcast is that kind of touchstone, you know, for perspective. It is that chance. And maybe you, all you got here at the end was acknowledgement for how we do get stressed and understandably about things that seem trivial. And that's like part of being human sometimes. And like maybe a podcast like this or a conversation like this is a touchstone like I'm feeling both accepting forgiveness for myself for unraveling sometimes at the stuff that shouldn't really mean anything. It's no big deal. And in contrast to all the other stuff going on in the world and the fact that I'm going to die someday and also the like touchstones of that you know, um, that there's relief in getting perspective while simultaneously making room for we're human and we get upset and that there's a balance there to be reached as, as often as possible, hopefully, and more and more, I think, um, I'm praying for that in my life and praying for that for all of you. If, unless you don't want it, you guys, or don't relate, then the, the prayer is not for you, but this is a wish until the next time you listen to, an episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast, and moving forward, a wish for you, a prayer for you, all that. Room for how you are and how you're doing and the touchstones that matter so much in your life to give you the perspective you need. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.